Welcome back to our online series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. My name is Corey Williams. It's a pleasure to have you on board. I hope that you're finding this beneficial. Let me go ahead and read uh, Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. We'll pray and then we'll get right to work. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we're asking that you would fill us with your Spirit. We want your people, the church, to radiate the glory of Jesus Christ. We, we want to evidence the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And we want other people to see that and feel that and be intrigued by it and ultimately come to know you in a saving way. So help us, Lord. Help us to be full of your Spirit, displaying the fruit of that Spirit for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're looking at the concept of patience, the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the elements of that is patience. In the version that we've got in front of us here, the NIV, it, it uses the word forbearance. It uses this idea of one of the elements of the fruit of the Spirit is the ability to forbear or to put up with, if you like. The literal translation of that, that word, uh, it's sometimes brought over as patience, it's sometimes brought over as forbearance, but the literal translation is something like long-tempered, that it takes a lot to provoke anger or, or temper. Uh, it's another way that is translated as long-suffering. And so it's telling us something about this reality of life in the Spirit, whereby when we deal with people or we deal with circumstances, Christians ought to be non-anxious, non-irritable. Uh, we, we should be the kind of people who can deal with all kinds of circumstances and problems and, and not be easily provoked. And so let's look at it. I think we've got some work to do here. But let's look at it under three different headings today. I, ho I hope that you know these three headings will get us where we need to go. But basically, we're acknowledging that Christians should be a, a people who are patient. So here's the first observation that I want us to think through. Patience is a part of God's character. Now, that shouldn't feel surprising because we're dealing with the fruit of the Spirit of God. And so any element that's being described of that fruit is actually a reflection of God's character. But I want to show it to you from some other passages of Scripture. This is um, who God is by His own definition. So if you're looking at that word that comes across as patience or forbearance, and you keep tracing it back to its origin, one of the first places you'll find it in the Bible is in Exodus 34, and it's where God is describing His name or His character to Moses. And it reads like this. This is Exodus 34, verse 6. It says, And He, God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. When, de when God describes who he is and what he's like, he's telling us something about his character and he's saying, here's who I am. I am compassionate 
and gracious. I am slow to anger. I am a long-tempered. I am abounding in love and faithfulness. So when we begin to understand the God who is, God is telling us, I am patient. That's a part of his character. It's a part of his nature. It's who he is. He is the God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So patience is a part of who God is. And patience is also a way in which God deals with with time itself. Uh, This is a fascinating concept and a little bit hard to wrap your head around because in, in a sense, God is beyond time. But when you look at how he deals with time, uh, it's kind of fascinating. So 2 Peter 3 tells us that this is how God relates to time. Peter's writing to the church and he's trying to help them think through what does it look like to patiently endure suffering and difficulty and disappointment. And he puts it like this, 2 Peter 3, 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Would the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he's helping us here to think about God's, God not only is patient in and of himself, but the way that he deals with timelines is incredibly patient. Because God looks at a day and he could look at it as we might consider a thousand years. But he can also look at a thousand years and he can view that as if it were a day. You see, God's relationship to time is different and so he's patient. He's in no hurry. He's not rushing to get something done. God can look at uh, our circumstances and he can go, you know what, I'm going to wait a day or a month or a season or a year or a decade, or a millennia. He can wait because for him, a thousand years are like a day. He's in no rush. And his patience is very purposeful. It's because he is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so God's relationship with time is quite interesting. And that helps us to think through, we don't have to feel as hurried as we often do. We don't have to feel so rushed to get to something. God deals with time differently and his timeline is perfect. So God is patient. It is a part of his character. It is how he relates to time itself. It's also how he relates to you and I. If you, if you reflect on God's patience with you, uh, you might not believe it at first. I think a lot of younger, less mature Christians have a hard time with this. But the longer you're a Christian, the more evident this becomes. You start looking at the slowness of your progress in the faith. You start looking at that process of becoming Christ-like and your failings in it. And you start to realize, man, God is phenomenally patient with me. He is dealing with me with that grace and that compassion. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He really does love me. He really does care for me. He really does work with me. Uh, he's not annoyed by me. He's not, a, he's not rolling his eyes like, come on, Cor, are we really doing this again? He loves me and he's patient with me. 
the longer that you're a Christian, the more I think that becomes evident. Dane Ortland wrote a book uh, that I highly recommend. Um, it's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It is a beautiful book. It's worth your time and your consideration. Uh, but in it, he's describing the heart of God. He's describing what God is like. And he goes to Exodus 34 that we just looked at a moment ago. And he says it like this, and, and it's kind of an interesting way to put it, but he, he's basically suggesting God is not trigger happy. He's not like right below the surface about to erupt. And he's just, you know, waiting for us to screw up and then, you know, pouring out his judgment on us. He says, if you're looking at Exodus 34, it's actually the exact opposite. If you're looking at the, the grace and the compassion and the slowness to anger, um, those are the things that are, that are multiplied. Those are the things that are readily available. Those are the things that spill out of God, so to speak. Um, those are the things that just come easily and naturally to Him according to His own uh, description. But the thing that has to be provoked, the thing that actually takes time to get to, is His anger and His justice. He's not easily provoked. He's slow to anger. He's long-tempered. So God Himself is patient. He, he's patient with time itself. He's patient with you and I. God is patient. The second thing that I want to show you is that patience changes the way that we deal with time and experiences. Patience, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which involves patience, should change the way that we deal with time and experiences. Now, this is a hard concept for us. This is the part of patience that we don't like. It's reminding us that things don't happen immediately. We live in an instant society. We live in a society where we just want things our way right now. I remember at the uh, beginning of the pandemic, I was talking to an individual from our church, and uh, they're, uh, they're in business, and they deal with different clients, and oftentimes those clients will make a decision, they'll call in an order, and the expectation is that that order is placed right then and there, is placed onto a plane, shipped overnight, and it shows up at their uh, place uh, the very next day. Now, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down, um, they would place an order and they would put it next day air, but there was no guarantee that it was showing up. It wasn't going to show up tomorrow. It might not show up the day after. It might be five or six days before that thing arrives. And um, we were talking about that. I was talking to this individual from, from the church and they were like, man, it's kind of nice. Like that these expectations have changed. The, the customer who used to be so impatient, like I want this thing on my doorstep tomorrow, now has to deal with the same circumstances that everyone else does. This thing may or may not show up and that's okay. We'll get it when we get it. Now again, this is, most of us are kind of like the pre-pandemic version and we look at the timeline of things and we do think, I want this right now. I want this to go my way right this moment. But patience actually changes how we deal with time and experiences. When we begin to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, with the Spirit Himself, and it's coming out in this fruit, 
it helps us to deal with, with timing and experiences in a very different way. Let me illustrate this to you from an Old Testament example. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, King Saul is waiting for the prophet Samuel to arrive. And um, the circumstances, there's an army that's kind of bearing down on them and they're trying to figure out what do we need to do. And Saul is the leader in this moment. And so he's thinking to himself, man, I need to exercise my leadership gift and make a decision because this affects so many people. I mean, there's an army that's coming against us and we need to know what to do. And so they're waiting for Samuel to arrive, but after a certain period of time, he doesn't show up. And so Saul thinks to himself, all right, I better, I better do something here. And so he uh, offers up a sacrifice to God. He, he's seeking God's favor, which we'll see here in just a minute. And he's trying to understand what he needs to do in this moment. And he's waited seven days already and Samuel didn't show up. So finally, he just takes initiative. Well, when Samuel does arrive, look at verses 11 and following of 1 Samuel 13. We'll put it up at the bottom of the screen. Samuel says, what have you done? Saul replies, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come out at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Do you hear what he's saying? I was waiting patiently and the circumstances were such that I had to make a decision. And I did that. I, in fact, I wanted to seek the Lord's favor. So I made an offering. Now, this isn't a normal thing. I mean, kings don't make offerings. That's for the, for the priests, for the prophets to do. But this was a, an extenuating circumstance. You weren't here. The army was on our doorstep. The people were getting frightened. I had to lead and I wanted the Lord's favor in this. So I just took action and, and initiative. And I did that. And Samuel says to him, what you have done is not right. Now the kingdom will be taken from you and given to someone better than you. It's a fascinating thing. You might think, man, that, that just doesn't feel right. Because I mean, what was Saul doing there? Why, why was it something that, that, you know, he had to be rebuked for. And the reason why is because what Saul was doing in that moment was he was expressing unbelief in God. You see, what, what happens when we look at the circumstances and we go, hey, everything's happening very quickly. I need to do something here. I need to take action and initiative. In fact, I need to seek the Lord's favor in this, but I'm going to go ahead and do something. What we're saying is God I don't trust your timing. I, I'm taking matters into my own hands because I'm not sure you're going to handle this appropriately. We do this all the time, don't we? We look at the situation around us and we think, I got to do something here. What's going on around me uh, is troubling, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take action. But what we're really doing is we are expressing unbelief in God's timing in God's ability, in God's provision for us. And that is an expression of unbelief. It is sin. And we engage in sin when we lack that trust in God. And it also often leads us into sinful patterns and behaviors as well. 
And when we take matters into our own hands and we're saying we got to make things come true the way that we want, usually it results in greater and greater problems. Well, I introduced um, you to Charles Simeon in a previous session. He was a pastor at uh, Cambridge and um, he ended up pastoring there for 50 years. But when he first started in that ministry, there were a lot of people that didn't want him to be the pastor there and they were giving him all kinds of grief. And so he made some resolutions and he actually ended up outlasting a lot of his critics. I mean, he was the pastor there for 50 years and so he just kind of hunkered down and said, I'm going to do what I need to do and I'm going to trust God. But uh, he, he wrote this in his journal and this idea has kind of been um, on my mind a lot lately. He said this, and this was talking about kind of early on in the experience. He said, I wished rather to suffer than to act, because in suffering I could not fail to be right, but in acting I might easily do amiss. What is he saying there? He, he's suggesting, if I understand him correctly, he's saying, look, I, I am willing to suffer at the hands of my critics. Because I know that if I'm doing that, then, then, I'm, then I'm acting in faith on God and that's the right thing to do. But if I take matters into my own hands and I try to justify myself, I try to vindicate myself, I try to right the wrongs that are going on around me, he says, I could easily do amiss. Does that make sense to you? He acknowledged that if he were to take things into his own hands, he might actually sin in doing so. Now, this is a hard concept for many of us to get, but, we're, but basically what I'm trying to suggest is God is often asking us in the midst of the circumstances we find ourselves in to trust him, to, to express patience, which will change how we're dealing with the time and the experiences that we're going through. And instead of trying to make things happen quickly and make them happen on our terms, we need to trust in God's providence and timing. And that I really do think changes us. It's this idea of having an eternal perspective. If you have an eternal perspective, that changes how you engage with the present moment. If you really do believe in heaven in all of its glory and the hope of the resurrection, it changes how you'll manage the moment. So you don't feel like I have to have everything come true for me right now as soon as possible. Instead, you can delay that gratification and believe that the best is yet to come. If you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, it's, um, it's actually uh, a chapter in the Bible that goes through a list of all these different heroes of the faith. And it says, so-and-so did this, and they had faith in God, and so-and-so, and, -so, and it just lists out all these different people. But then at the end of the chapter, there's a verse there that's kind of fascinating to me because it reads like this. This is Hebrews 11:39. It's talking of all these people that they've just outlined there for us. And it says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. In other words, they're in the Bible for expressing faith, but none of them received the fullness of what had been promised to them. They all had to await for that promise to come true in that future reality. But that's how we should be as Christians. People who think, I don't have to have everything go my way right now because everything is going to go my way eternally forever.
and that is worth waiting on. Um, this concept, uh, late, lately I've been just really reflecting on it, and uh, there's, there's actually a song that, that has been helping me to kind of get this washed over my soul. Um, it's by one of my favorite artists, uh, King's Kaleidoscope, and it's on their album, The Beauty Between. And so, you know, in the mornings uh, at my home, I'm trying to work out and run on the treadmill, and I'll be listening to this album on repeat. And uh, as I'm running and listening to this, this one song in particular, it's called Alive. Um, it's actually been making me kind of weepy lately, which is a kind of a bizarre thing for me because I'm uh, like my wife will tell you, I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. Um, but I'm running on the treadmill and I'm like, I'm weepy as I listen to the lyrics of this song. And so I wanted to share them with you. Uh, this is Alive by King's Kaleidoscope. And, and Chad, the uh, lead vocalist, he, he puts it like this. He says, and it's kind of like talking to the enemy and preaching to himself, okay? So he puts it like this. Don't you get that I'm defended, that I'll never die? It's a battle that you can't win. This love, it keeps me alive. And I won't ever have to die your death, my final breath, the birth of life. And I will rise up resurrected, my past and future in Christ. He goes on to say, I can hear the beat of heaven, feel the pulse of life in my blood and in my future. It keeps my feet in the fight. You see, this the lyrics of this song are really pointing to that reality of heaven and all its glory. My past and my future are in Christ. Therefore, no matter what's going on in this moment, I'm okay. In fact, I'm invincible. You see, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience, it changes how we deal with time. It gives us the ability to patiently endure anything that we go through. Well, the third thing that I want to show you here is that patience is something that we need to also extend to other people. Uh, I'll try to be brief here. I, I believe that this is um, somewhat intuitive, and so hopefully it won't surprise you at all. But patience is not only something that God is, and something that we need to experience in relationship to time, but it's also something that we need to extend to other people. So Jesus told a, a parable in Matthew chapter 18, and the parable is about forgiveness and mercy and patience and relationship. And he talks about it in this way. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king settling accounts. And he calls in a servant who has a tremendous amount of debt, and he's trying to settle up. And so, pay back what you owe me. And the servant pleads. He says, please be patient with me and I will pay you back. And the king says, you know what? I'm canceling your debt. You are absolved from this debt. You can go free now. And so, you can imagine what that would feel like. He went in with this weight around his neck and he's set free and he's liberated. So, he's kind of floating out of there. Just his life radically changed. But then he sees a servant of his who owes him a small amount of money. And he grabs that person and he says, pay me back what you owe me. And he begins choking him. And that servant pleads his case and he says, please be patient with me. I'll pay you back everything. And he says, no, give it to me right now. And he throws him in prison. Now, when that report gets back to the king, the king is 
angry and he calls the servant back in and says, you need to come before me again. And this is what he says, Matthew 18, 32 and following. He says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Jesus then comments on this parable and he says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, here's the point. Jesus is telling us that God is patient with us and he is able to cancel our debts. But that means that if we have received that mercy and that forgiveness from God himself, then that needs to actually spill over into our relationships with other people. We need to be able to look at other people who've offended us, who've made us upset, who who owe us. And instead of saying, you're going to pay for this, we treat them as we've been treated. We say, look, I am going to absolve you from that debt. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to be merciful and kind to you because God has been merciful and kind to me. So my question then is, are you withholding any mercy from people right now? Are you looking at people in your life and you're angry with them and you're holding it against them and you're wanting them to pay for what they've done to you? Or are you behaving more like God himself who extends mercy and grace to the undeserving? Listen, friends. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's a part of who God is. It's a part of how we ought to relate to time and experiences. And and it's a part of what people ought to experience with us. They should see the fruit of the Spirit, which is long temper in us. That we love people and we stay with people and we work with people and we forgive and are merciful to people because that is how God has dealt with us. May it be true that we are a people of patience. Amen.